0: Uh, We can't really say anything beyond October 1st, which is the new fiscal year, um, the new program year for the refugee program in the U.S. Um, So we are doing our best to offer quality services and um, really come alongside folks in any way that they need. Um, We're still trying to help the people who are here and, of course, fighting for the folks who still need to come here. One way that um, I've been very involved with helping to welcome refugees in a sort of interesting way is through Trican, which we call the Ride for Refugee Employment. And this is a bike tour that goes across Washington State. And coincidentally, it's also the reason why I've been avoiding riding my bicycle for the last month. Um, so this is a 400-mile bike tour across the state. And uh, this year, I rode in it with Zach on our famous tandem bicycle and then Rick also joined us for this crazy ride and um, so Zach is going to share some reflections on that experience very briefly um, and what it was like for him. Yes that is us on the tandem in the Palouse which is a very beautiful part of Washington State if you haven't been before. And, oh, yeah, and results. So we also raised $125,000 through this event, which is incredible and significantly more than we've raised in the past. So we've seen a great, great response this year.
1: One of the things that we often get asked when people see us riding a tandem bicycle is, oh, you have two people, so it must be twice as easy, right? (laughs) We usually smile and nod, and I secretly hate this question (laughs) because the answer is no, but because we are riding a tandem bicycle and we feel the need to maintain the appearance uh, of cuteness uh, (laughs) with this inherently whimsical form of transportation, I lie and say yes. (laughs) Um, Some people in this congregation actually are tandem bike riders and uh, know the, the challenges and limitations that are particular to riding a tandem bike. I think for professionals who race, uh, you can actually go quite a bit faster on a tandem bike. There's the uh, aerodynamic profile of one rider and the power of two. Uh, That requires a level of coordination and skill and bike handling that Caitlin and I do not possess. (laughs) So as it is, riding a tandem bike means that our butts are more sore at the end of the day because we're not coordinated enough to pedal out of the seat like people on a single bike can do without thinking about it. It also means that hills are a special kind of challenge. Uh, We seem to lack the synergistic ability to climb a hill in the way that a single rider does. And so hills for us are a battle. And it is, as it turns out, with this ride across the state, our state contains many hills. <laughs> and for those who have taken I-90 into eastern Washington and have this sense that it's all flat once you get over the Cascades, that's not really true, and particularly not with our ride through the Palouse um, Descending Mount Rainier, uh, getting into the watershed of the Natchez River and then the Yakima River. There are a lot of hills, they're sculpted by glaciers, um, and it makes for some very beautiful terrain. Uh, The Windows desktop background comes to mind when you are rolling through these wheat fields, some of them green, some of them starting to turn. Um, but it also means that we on our tandem bike are struggling as we try to crest each one, whereas our other fellow riders are able to climb them without much problem. It also means there's a little bit of loneliness. You have to uh, go at your own pace. Uh, It's difficult to get into a, a pace line where Uh, single riders ride single file. Uh, They draft off each other. The aerodynamics work out so that you can uh, expend up to 30% less energy. Uh, We can't really do that because no one wants to wait for us as we (laughs) crawl up the hills, and then uh, we toboggan down them and uh, slingshot past them. So it, it, it makes for kind of an awkward ride if we are trying to stay in a group. Uh, there was also the compounding factor that with this wonderful new tandem that really was uh, a blessing to have as we you know, finally had a bike that fit us both for the first time. It was finished, uh, built up at the bike shop about two days before we left. And that meant that all oh, the last minute... Uh, tweaks uh, that you usually do when you start riding a new bike, Uh, just adjusting the saddle height just right and the angle just so, and getting the handlebars in exactly the right position. Uh, That all had to happen during the ride, and so I just uh, took an adjustable wrench with me, uh, a multi-tool, and we tweaked things as we go, Uh, but it meant that until we found the comfortable spot for each component, It was in the uncomfortable spot. Uh, On this ride, we were blessed to not have snow and rain on day two as we uh, went over Chinook Pass by Mount Rainier. However, it also meant that uh, we had a lot of sun. Um, There were no clouds to speak of after day two, and the heat Um, in eastern Washington in the summer is significant and not something I, as someone who is used to wearing wool year-round, knew how to deal with very well. On day four, we were writing Sweep, which is uh, the writer whose job it is to stay back with the last stragglers and make sure that they're okay. And uh, our group of stragglers slowly thinned out uh, as people dropped out due to heat exhaustion and had to get picked up by the van. Uh, We were the last remaining ones, uh, us and one other rider, out of a group of five in the middle of the day. So given all these challenges, um, it occurred to me more than once uh, the thought of, why am I doing this? (laughs) That's not a rhetorical question. It turns out there's an answer. Um, As Caitlin mentioned, we raised over $100,000. It was beyond our expectations. Uh, It was past our goal. Um, And that money goes to a program at World Relief called Match Grant. And what happens with that program is that Uh, newly arrived refugees uh, who come here are given uh, basic things like job uh, finding assistance and training and uh, enough housing assistance to get them by for their first couple of months and it's a vital lifeline for those who are facing the upheaval of Having to start their life over in a new culture with a new language uh, in new surroundings sometimes knowing nobody welcoming the stranger is why we put up with sore butts and backs and hands and heat and hunger and thirst and doing that I'm reminded of people who have to flee their homes and don't get to leave them on a fun bike ride with a van that can pick us up at any time and that are traveling through areas that are dangerous and where they're not welcome and who don't have a support crew handing out snacks and water with lunch breaks that are uh, you know, food is provided for us, and they don't know where they're going to stay. Unlike us, where everywhere we went, we had people and churches and communities providing floors to sleep on and uh, places to eat. And in that context, I think that our struggles on the struggle bus, which is our nickname for the tandem. Uh, seem pretty light by comparison. So imagining having to flee Seattle and not having these nice things, uh, traveling mercies on our journey that make it easy and even fun. um, I'm thankful that I don't have to flee uh, and it makes me want to welcome the stranger. give them what we can and advocate for them and get the word out and do things like ride across the state to raise money for them.
0: Thanks to everyone in this community who supported our ride and Rick's ride in STK. Um, I think it is so great, so important for us to welcome newcomers and to say welcome, to visibly be welcoming, Um, but in my opinion, that's not quite enough. Um, If the church stops there, there's still a lot of work to be done, and so we want to highlight just a couple of projects that um, World Relief is currently involved in with local churches, and so Alex is going to come up and share a little bit about that, and hopefully we're going to show a video that is pretty awesome about one of those programs.
2: Thanks for having me today yeah so i just wanted to start by pointing out in our call to worship today we got to read um the le- our leader read by our presence here we express our desire to see each newcomer supported by community rooted in community and empowered for community so it turns out that that's actually um where I believe seattle that's our new uh, vision statement going forward as we continue to do work uh, and i really love the way that we see in that um that vision statement there um in in accomplishing our mission of empowering the church to serve the most vulnerable we see that in this statement it starts with supporting our participants and really working with them um, in some of the programs like our employment program in the first three to six months really supporting our participants but then beyond that it goes into saying rooted rooting our participants finding ways to find them um, to get them plugged into community to feel like this is their community that they can be a part of that and ultimately empowering them for community, that they can go out and be the community, be the ones empowering the next generation, bringing us along with them so that it doesn't just become us giving services, but us really being having our hearts changed, having our lives changed by their culture, um, by their influence, um, by their role in our community. Um, and so in that, I think one of the things we've been looking at at World Relief is not, how can we take the wonderful services that and the trust that we're able to build with our participants in the first three to six months when they're getting job classes and English classes and housing and make that something that lasts way beyond that. What, what, what programs can we offer that would go not just in six months but could last five years, that could last 10 years, and ultimately really empower our participants to be our community and to share with us? So if you could go to the uh, next slide. Um, And so in that, we've come up with kind of this um, set of projects, what we're calling our resiliency multiplier. And that's just kind of a fun name. The way we see it is that many of our um, refugee friends um, are coming with more resilience than we have in just our little finger, right? They're fleeing persecution, they're fleeing danger, um, and they're coming here. They already have that resilience. And so we're trying to think of how can we kind of multiply that, how can we create opportunities that give them chances to use that to really thrive and um, achieve sustainability in America. Um, And so one of those um, is our new community garden. Um, So there's a church about half a mile away from our office in Kent, um, and they had basically in the 80s and 90s, while land was cheap bought up a ton of land um, and then ultimately just paved it over because it was cheaper to kind of upkeep it they didn't have to worry about all the upkeep costs that would come with that so they've donated to us about an acre of parking lot space Um, and so um, one of our um, team members Tamina um, she's kind of uh, she's just visionary she had this idea we're going to make a community garden and so she's pulled in Um, community council members, um, King Conservation District, all these different community partners. And so we're calling this place the the Paradise Parking Lots, going off the idea that, if you know the song, they pave paradise and put in a parking lot, we're we're depaving the parking lot and putting in paradise. Um, And so the goal here um, is to create this space um, where we can literally... help our participants take root in community, right? Many of them are coming from farming backgrounds where their their lifestyle was one in which their hands, they were in the dirt getting ready, creating food, creating sustainability. Um, and so we wanted to have this chance where we can, basically we're gonna be creating um, this acres, parking lot will become 50 garden plots. Um, and so this will be a space where our participants can, you know, pay a small fee to kind of be able to get ownership over this land um, and really be able to begin to take root in community. And we've seen that through um, so, so this here is Gladys here on the right with the microphone. Uh, she's from the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. She came about five years ago. And so during our groundbreaking service, she shared a little story saying how when she was, she remembers when she was three, four years old, and she had gotten to just be out in the garden with her grandma, planting, creating food. Um, and then when she moved here, um, it's just, she's felt very isolated. She said that, um, her, one quote that she said is that, I used to get my hands dirty in the soil, now I just get them dirty on social media in my house. Um, and so she's really excited. She just said, this will give me a chance to really find that part of me that i had to leave back home right and get my hands in the soil be able to look up see the sky and really begin to take that route in the community so we're really excited for kind of this garden project um, and what that and so this um about three weeks ago now um turner construction came out they donated a bulldozer and a, a bunch of their staff and we've paved 12,000 um, square feet of parking lot. Um, so now kind of we have the beds ready, there's still gravel. And so over the course of this summer, we're excited to be building beds. Um, and then in addition to kind of the gardening aspect of it, we're, we're really excited for the ways it's gonna bring our community together. Um, we're partnering with one of the local middle schools. Um, they're piloting kind of an experiential learning project. So they'll be sending some of their students over to come do science projects, experiments in the soil, um, and then we're looking at ways in which um, the garden is going to help with sustainability in the area. And the, um, there's kind of there was a rain runoff that was going through the parking lot, and the water was getting polluted and going into the, um, the storm drains. Um, and so the garden will help clean that water. So there's I, um, Tamina, our project coordinator, has literally talked to me for over 30 minutes just nonstop about this project and this project, and I'd be happy to share more with you about that later. But it's just really exciting to see how kind of God's creation and garden is kind of happening in Kent here Um, so in addition to um, the garden the next slide um, we're we're really excited for um, this sewing class that we've um, started and so I forgot the blanket I'll get that in the car yeah so um, this class came out of we had um, one of our most vulnerable groups um, a group of Afghan women we we did we held some focus groups knowing that many of these women they were pre-literate meaning that they they had never gotten any formal education. They couldn't read or write in their own home language. And so we, we created a focus group with these some of the women from this community and were asking them, kind of, what is it we can do to better serve you, to help you um, find, find home in this community? And the women, the big thing for them was, one, that English was really hard, that they were falling behind, but also that they were really feeling isolated, not able to find community. When they were back home, they would um, often be often be forced to stay at home but they would have their their sisters their aunts and all the kids to take care of there'd be large family units where they would spend time in community whereas if if a woman had come and come with her husband um, and he was out working she was expected to stay at home in her little apartment in kent and really isolated and so out of the out of these focus groups came this idea to hold a sewing class and so the idea here was that um, one, we could teach the women English in a way that was hands-on, and we have found that as they're using their hands, they're really able to intake some of the, the knowledge in a way that was more difficult in a normal conventional class. Um, but it also created this space for community, for the women to all come together um, and sew together, and then it also gave them a tangible skill that they could hopefully go on and use forward. And so we found out of this class, our first class had eight women in the class, um, And out of that class, two of the women are going on into um, jobs related to sewing. But more importantly, all of these women were able to come together and really find community. And I found a a really beautiful story that came out of that. This is, uh, Mursal was one of the students, and then Jeanette was was our teacher who had a background kind of volunteering with the Singer Sewing Company. Um, And Jeanette and a couple of the other volunteers had said that they had never had an interaction with a Muslim person in their life, right? They... They're from a church in Kent. Um, and so for them, it was as equally powerful to just have this space and to just realize that these are our brothers and sisters, right? That, it, that we are able to just enter, we can enter into community together and really love one another. And so um, um, I was told a story of how one day um, Tamina, again, uh, our program coordinator, walked into class and she saw all the women huddled around a phone with Jeanette And basically just saying I love you I love you back and forth and there was just tears falling down everyone's eyes as they were just able to just enter into this space where they could you know despite the language barrier despite the culture barrier just come together and just share and love together Um, so if you go to the next slide um, go ahead and play a video for you um, from the sewing class I guess if you X out and go to
1: Okay, so sort of uh, my
0: name is <laughs> so the Afghan women um, because they are the they're the group that are most vulnerable in terms of being pre-literate, um, that means illiterate in their own language, a lot of them, um, they often tend to be very isolated, and so they feel depressed or separated from other members of the community because in Afghanistan they w- they would have community with other women, they would have a chance to get together, but here, because of the language barrier and the difficulty taking public transportation and childcare, it's really hard to get together with other women. So this class was a way to address not only the community building and friendships, but also learning a skill. As a profession, I'm an interior designer, but I've also worked in the sewing industry. Um, My background is a national educator for the Singer Sewing Machine Company. But on a typical day, we would begin with vocabulary, um, holding up different Items and you know teaching them the names of let's say pincushion or
1: scissors or rulers or or whatever
0: The class and the lessons and projects were all built on step by step by step So in the beginning the first project was very simple we had
2: To share that link with Caitlin later, and she can kind of pass that on to you if you want to see that. But they were able to start with uh, little things like pot holders, and then they moved into like oven mitts, and then ultimately little purses where they learned how to embroider their own design. Um, And then one of the really cool parts about this was, in addition, they made eight little projects that were their own to keep. And then in addition to that, they each made two baby blankets um, with the idea that those baby blankets would be made to pass on to families that came down the road that had kids. And so it gave them a chance to also give back. So I actually have one of those in the car. I can bring it and show later if you'd like to see that. So that's just a little snapshot of some of the, some of the, our kind of resiliency multiplier projects and kind of our vision going forward as we seek to um, fulfill this mandate to, to welcome the stranger, to welcome the foreigner and the immigrant, um, that beyond just set, resettling them, which we continue to do in the first three to six months, what can we do to find sustainability and get them rooted and empowered for our community? Um, so yeah, I'd be happy. I'll be around later. I'd be happy to talk more about any of these progra- programs and what we're doing at World Relief.
0: Thanks, Alex. And I'd like to read just one more scripture. Um, for to close this time and I also want to highlight that all of the verses that were read today are included in this special bookmark that we prepared um, that is reading through the Bible with an intentional eye towards refugees and immigrants and I've got I brought a bunch of those last time this was a very high demand item so I brought a bunch so feel free to grab one from the back um, if you're interested in doing that so this is Ephesians 214 to 18 for Christ is our peace In Christ's flesh, he has made us both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him, both of us have access in one spirit to God. All right, Now, I believe we have a hymn. We have hymn number 90 in the hymnal, For the Fruit of All Creation.